Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two of the story of the Kane brothers, Jeremy and Zachary Kane who were found guilty of murder at just 15 and 16 years of age and were sentenced to 35 years in a men's prison. It's a crime they say was self-defence and was never meant to end the way it did. In these situations, there are no winners, especially when it comes to a murder case. People's lives are ruined from all sides, and not just, of course, those directly involved. There is almost always going to be families who are forever changed by these events. In this case, of course, there's the victim. Now, we'll discuss him in more detail soon, and there's evidence that shows he may not have been the best of human beings. But nonetheless, a man has lost his life prematurely. And again, there's a family attached to that that's lost a father, brother, uncle, son. You've of course got the boys, Jeremy, Zach and Mark, three teenagers between the ages of 15 and 16 who were charged with murder and sentenced to essentially life in prison. Any hopes or dreams they had for the future are gone. Going to university, gone. Building a career, gone. Getting married and starting a family? Gone. If Jeremy and Zach have to serve out their entire sentences, they will be released when they're in their 50s. And then, of course, their families. Parents who have basically lost their children and they have absolutely no control over the outcome. Parents whose job was always to protect their children Steve Kane and I spoke about Zach's recent move to a new facility, and what he said really brings home just how long these two have been away from society for. He got moved to a work release 
his first time he's ever been in one, right? Yeah. And he called me, called us up. He said, he said, I've never been in a place that didn't have a fence. <laughs> uh, incredible. He said, there's it? no fences. He said, I don't know where to, you know, what to do. And okay, they took him to get his driver's license. They took him down to take his test, you know, to let him study for it and get his driver's license back. He said, you know, I sat in a cop car without no shackles on. He said, 21 years, I've never been anywhere without shackles on. Now, you think about that. He went to prison at 16. I hear you've been moved to a, um, a work camp, which is unusual for you because there's no fences. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's definitely unusual for me. Definitely, it's, uh, it's different. I'm not really used to I mean, I'm used to it now. It's getting a little more. I'm about to start driving a van, hopefully, and doing van drives and stuff like that, but just taking people to work. But that's about the, the maximum of my actually being able to do anything because you only get paid $2 a day to do that. It's amazing you and your brother are going to have exactly the same job because that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he told me to get into. He said that's the best as far as just feeling like you're free because, I mean, even though you don't stop or go nowhere or do anything that you're not supposed to do, but you still, you, you get to drive up and down the street. You get to drive up and down the highways and you get to take people to work. You get to sit in the parking lot. and wait. You know, it's just the interaction. Uh, actually seeing people, it makes you feel like things are real again because for a little while, I still feel like I'm kind of stuck. Like my mind, because I've been, it's been so long, and it's hard for me to uh, adjust to it. And it's different because I was getting lost. Like my mind wasn't feeling like I was free anymore. I felt like I was asleep most of the time, and like everything was a dream. If I ever got to go out, like had to go to the free world hospital or anything like that, because I've been, I've been to free world hospital plenty of times, injuries and stuff like that in prison. And when I get back, it's like I just dreamed it. I never really went. You know, it's so weird. It's like getting here and seeing this the way it is now it's just it's intense but i'm adjusting all right that's one thing about it you if you're strong you can you can adjust and you can make it that's 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 my goal is to stay strong and keep pushing forward So in our previous episode, we heard how Jeremy had been following Mark and Zach as they drove to the batting cages for baseball practice. On the way, they would swing by to pick up a friend. This friend, however, lived on the same street as Jimmy Hill and his stepkids. As the boys arrived on the street, Mark, who's driving his car, spots Jimmy Hill and decides to stop the car and confront him. At this time, I'm asking my friend in the truck, like, man, you know who that is? Like, I don't know. I, said, I don't know either. I've never seen him before. I don't know who he is. It was Jimmy Hill, which was the stepdad of the kid that my brother's friend Mark, you know, was having issues with. Um, I'd never seen him before up until this day that I'm aware of. I may have seen him in past and never knew it. He's coming up the road and he's hollering and screaming. And I don't, at this point, I don't really hear what he's saying. My, uh, Mark reaches in his uh, car and pulls two bats out of his backpack and gives one to my brother and him, and he has one. And they walk back behind my truck towards the guy. And I hear Mark hollering back at the guy or something about his stepson or something. Uh, where's his stepson at or whatever. Well, the guy's coming up the street. I mean, he's, he's moving at a real fast-paced walk. I mean, like, long stride coming at him, and he just comes straight for him. And he's telling him, you know, he's like, F you, you punk-ass kids. I'll kick your ass. And he tells the one kid that I'll make you suck my d- 
he's just like, I'm just forward. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I don't know what's going on. And this happening really, really fast. And when he gets to the kid, Mark, he goes up to him and bumps him with his chest, grabs him, reaches over him, grabs him with his arm, licks him across the face, kisses him in the mouth, spits in his face, and slams him to the ground like he was a ragdoll. Now, the man was six one or two and about 250 pounds. At the time, we were all 15, 16 years old and weighed about 140 pounds apiece. He runs up in Mark's face. Well, he, before he runs up, Mark reaches in and grabs a bat and says, man, you need to get back. Dude, says, I don't give a damn about that bat. I don't care. I don't know. And he's, he's going up. He's cussing. He's just screaming. He's talking about, I mean, can I just be verbal and say what he said? Or? Yeah, yeah, mate. Go for it. I mean, the man was telling Mark, I'm going to make you suck my d- I'm going to fuck you and all this other stuff. And uh, this is a grown-ass man. So he gets up in Mark's face. Now that he's in his face, Mark's kind of stunned because he didn't realize he didn't think the guy was going to run up on him when he's got a bat in his hand. The guy runs up in his face and he grabs Mark. We're well, talking in each other's ear because they're about the same height, but this dude's like 100 pounds heavier than Mark. So the dude kind of leans back and grabs Mark by the back of the head and sticks his tongue in his mouth and spits in his mouth. Back up a little bit because right before that happened, I had stepped out of the truck and I told the friend, my friend in the truck, to get out because he was he was 17 years old, but he was six five, like 270 pounds. He was a big kid. So I was like, hey, man, get out, get out. I need you to scare this guy off or do something. You know, I didn't know this man was crazy. It wouldn't have done him any good if he had got out. But I thought at the time, maybe four people versus one, maybe the guy will run off. So while I'm trying to get him to get out of the truck, he won't get out. This happens to Mark. So when that happens, I run over towards the guy, and then when he slammed Mark to the ground, he dropped the bat. So I'm hollering the guy, hey, 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 man, stop, stop. What's going on? No, like, stop, stop. Well, he turns come towards me and when Mark had dropped the bat I had picked it up and I told him I said get back get back he was like screaming the same stuff F you kids I'll make you suck my d-. F you F you this and he come at me like he was fixing to hit me with this landscaping timber and when he did I took a short jab to his left leg because he was going to he hit me first. So I hit him with a short jab to the leg, and that pissed him off. And he ran back to hit me, and I hit him one time in the shoulder. He took one step back, and I took off running. And I was screaming for the kid on the ground to run, run. I was like, run, 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 run. And the kid, he was on the ground. He was, had spit all in his face, looking all disgusted. He was kind of in shock. And I was just screaming for him to run, run, run. Well, I run, and he runs behind me. And I get to my truck. And I realized my brother didn't come running, too. So I don't know exactly what happened because it was behind me. But when I turned around, I seen the man bleeding from his face and trying to cuss at a steel, but his words were coming out slurred, like, or something like that. And I, all these years, I thought maybe it was my adrenaline, everything was moving in slow motion. I don't really know what it was. 
And But I knew, obviously, my brother had hit him in the face with the bat. I'm still kind of stuck. Well, my brother went to help. I don't know if he swung again or what. I know my brother never hit him in the head. I, I know I did that. But my brother went to help my friend up, and the dude came at my brother, and I hit him in the head. I didn't mean to kill him. You know what I'm saying? I didn't mean to do it. And... Now, I didn't see that, but my brother was standing there holding the bat. He was kind of frozen in shock. And, and, and then he came again, and, and I hit him again, and he got hit twice, and he was still talking crazy, but then he started, like, and just, yeah. like, I don't even like talking about it for real, because I get upset. I don't like getting upset, especially in here. Yeah, of course. Like, just, yeah, I, I understand that for sure, mate. The neighbor comes out there and tells me, uh, stop, you're going to kill him. I ain't trying to hit him. No more. I'm just trying to knock him out. I'm just trying to get him away from my brother. You know, and I'm, I'm scared to death. I don't know what's going on. And he's got a gun in my face, and he pulls the trigger, and it clicks. So I'm like, man, what, what is, whoa, I'm, I'm snapping out of him. I'm like, I'm backing up, and he's steadily messing with his gun, and a bullet comes out. So then he puts the gun back. Ah, oh, stop, you're going to kill him. I've been stopped. I wasn't trying to hit the man again. He got hit twice. I didn't, he was still standing. Like, he was not down, but he was being the aggressor still. I'm just trying to get him to stop being the aggressor. Just please stop, you know? And the neighbor, he, he's standing, and that's when I hear the click, and I look at him, and the gun's in my face, and he's messing with me. He put the gun back, and I dropped the bat. He said, stop. I said, I'm not stopping. I got, got in the car, and we went straight to, well, we went to Mark's house. Called my mom, and we went straight to the police station. Need ambulance, quick. Was Mark 15 or 16? Mark was 16. He was 16. So he's seen this stepfather, the stepfather of this guy that he's got an issue with. That's when he sort of yeah. pull, pulled up the car and jumped out and sort of approached this guy saying, where's your son? Right. And I think initially when he went past the house, he thought it was the son coming out. And then when he got out of the car and realized it wasn't the son, I think he just thought he was going to get out and holler, hey, man, tell your son when I see him. You know, we're going to fight or whatever. And then the, the stepdad come down there and did what he did. It's a pretty, that's still a pretty full-on thing for a 16-year-old. When it's a, an adult, you'd usually go, oh, okay, not him, turn around and walk away. Whereas he sort of still sort of was a bit aggressive towards this, this stepfather saying, you know, when, when you see his son, let him know, I want to fight him yeah. type thing. Um, so was Mark a bit of a hothead? Uh, yeah, I would say he was probably a little bit. I mean, he had some little, you know, he played baseball and stuff, too. He was good at baseball. He was probably with a high scholarship and stuff. He didn't know this kind of happened. But he had some you know, issues, family issues and stuff um, that, that kind of had him a little bit off at this time. Yeah. Mad about some things and, and and stuff. So, yeah, he was probably a little bit of a hothead, um, I would say. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I know he'll be more than willing to talk to you also and give you more of his perspective on why he did what he did. I know he feels horrible that we're in prison because of what he did because essentially it's – you well, know, I mean, his, his <clears throat> situation ended up yeah. getting me and my brother in prison. Hello. Hi, Mark. How are you, buddy? Hey, bro. 
How's I'm doing good. That's good, mate. That's good. Uh, look, thank you again for uh, making time to, uh, to have a chat with me. I do appreciate it, mate. Oh, that's no problem. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The story of the Kane brothers, of course, also centres around another young man from the time, Mark Harper. Mark was friends with Zach at the time of this incident. And the whole reason the boys ended up in this fight was because of a feud that Mark was having with the 19-year-old stepson of the man who would lose his life, Jimmy Hill. Mark contacted me a few weeks ago when he heard from Jeremy that I was going to be telling their story. And he was only too happy to speak with me about everything that had happened that day from his perspective. However, before we spoke about the day in question that would change their lives forever... Jeremy and Zach had both said to me that, unlike their sort of cookie-cutter family life, Mark had a very different upbringing. And right around the time of the incident, had not long found out the people he called mum and dad were in fact his aunt and uncle. Well, uh, I'll start off saying that uh, I was born in uh, Wyoming, in a uh, different state here in the States. And 
my real mom is who I called my mom, and now it's her sister. And my dad was, a, I guess, a career criminal because, you know, he changed his name as well as my mom's uh, all across the United States. And um, all his records are sealed, so I can't really go into more detail because I just don't know from that point on. But <clears throat> I was adopted at like 13 months old. Mark says that his real father would force his mother to join the military in order to try and claim the benefits afforded to military personnel, all while he continued doing his accounting schemes, which is apparently how he made his money. Mark's mum, however, was unable to make her way through basic training and ends up leaving and heads down to Alabama to get her kids back. Although for some reason, it's just Mark's half-brother that she takes with her and he is left behind. Mark's real father would show up one more time in Alabama, but this would be for the last time. So to go all about it, uh, my dad came back in the picture for like the last time. Uh, and so guy I call my dad now, uh, he bought me. Did you say he bought you? Yeah, he sold me to my uncle for $2,000. I grew up and, you know, around like five, six, it's kind of like when you start coming into consciousness, you know, and start seeing things from a different uh, viewpoint. And I noticed my brother and sisters were 15 and 10 years older than me. And, you know, over time I was like, you know, I just don't look like these people. And, uh, you know, the way they move in life is different the way that I want to move. You know, and they were always hard on me, but what drove me was sports. Right? Like, Mark says he knew things just didn't seem right. However, he would carry on with life, playing sport, which is what he says took up his thoughts and his time as a youngster. Until one day after being selected to play All-Stars when he was 12, going up against different regions from around the state. As part of this selection, Mark's uncle, who of course he believed to be his father at the time, would have to present Mark's birth certificate. And he would tell Mark not to look at it. Well, of course, a young man who's had questions for some time about his belonging and why he seems so different to his family, picks it up and discovers that his birthplace is in fact in Wyoming. Confused about this... That night, he gets home and asks his parents directly about why it says this. And a family meeting is called, where they try and make up some story about how he was conceived artificially and essentially just tell him to drop it. So he's left to his own thoughts, confused and angry, and says he begins lashing out at others. So, like, 12, you know, like I had my, like, first fight, really, and like I, I beat the dude up really, really bad because I had a lot of pain in me, you know. And uh, so my parents got scared and sent me to a psychiatrist and put me on Selexa, Depakote, and the Rotten. And so from 12 to 16, you know, I couldn't really have good discernment uh, because you know I just felt like. Like, my soul was just, like, in chains, you know, just kept thinking, creativity gone, you know, 
going for sports is doing things. Mark continues to spiral mentally. He then starts smoking weed on top of taking the medication he's been prescribed. And one day would all culminate in a violent altercation between him and his adopted father. I was already on them like psychiatric pills. So I never took no pills or anything. But like when I smoked weed and all that, like I would just get fried. And so I had passed out at Chevron uh, one night, uh, one afternoon, and my friend's mama woke me up. Uh, like banging on my window, and I had finally, um, <clears throat> uh, like made my way back home. And I guess she had called my dad, so when I pulled up, uh, like I vividly there, like I see him coming out, and he's mad, and he gets in the car in the passenger side, and he cuts the car off. Well, you know, that made me mad for some reason, and I'm not even looking at him like he's my dad, and so I hit him. He's like, you know, too bad, and I take off running. And, uh, you know, I'm not knowing what I'm doing. And, you know, these chain on fences out here, you know, four and a half, five foot high, and, you know, I'm hurdling them. You know, I'm not even, I'm jumping, you know, like a greyhound or something. So I get up this hill, and uh, my dad finally makes it, you know, like halfway up, you know, he's, He's struggling, and you know, I look at him, and you know, I said, I'm leaving. And so I made my way into uh, into a road and uh, get in. Like a car pulls up, and it happened to be my friend uh, from school, so I, I flagged him down, got in the back of that truck, and we didn't make it to the stop sign to the cops. You know, I guess he saw me, you know, like trying to hide and pulled us over, and anyway. I didn't want to get out, and you know, he pretty much hogtied me and threw me in the back of the car, and then got to like the police station, and they shot me up with some shit, and I just fell asleep. And then right before I got to this hospital, I was waking up, and you know, they, they told me I was going into like inpatient care or whatever, you know. And he gets placed into inpatient care a young teen who spiralled out of control, a youngster who was getting straight A's in school. And now he's fighting, taking drugs, and has found himself essentially locked up. He struggled to get his head around the fact that he'd been adopted and that essentially no one would be willing to sit down and just tell him the truth. However, while in the institution, he gets taken to a group meeting which would make him change his attitude towards life. We go to this little uh, team group meeting, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing everybody else that's in there. And there's this uh, black girl uh, in a wheelchair in a body cast. Like, only thing you can see is, like, her head. Everything else is casted up. And it, 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 it had a profound effect on me. I wanted to change and do better. He spends just over a week inside the inpatient care and comes out more focused and determined to improve his life. He starts focusing back on his sports, he begins taking an interest in girls and them in him, and stops hanging around the bad people in his life and begins hanging out with Zach. Like he, he's in my grade and school, he always has been, but I never hung out with him because he wasn't part of the sports. And so... You know, he was just always around. I just didn't know him. 
But when I went back to school, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to change everything. You know, this kid named Jack, he'd be there pretty much by himself. You know, we hit it awesome. He's cool. And, you know, he showed me four wheelers in like a four or five month time, you know. Mark's hanging out with Zach, having fun, playing the field and changing his life. During this time, he says he's also taking a class, which was a bit of a joke, but it was for extra credit at school. It was an aerobics class and says while in this class, he would first talk with the girl who would set off the chain of events that would lead them to that fateful day. So I'm in aerobics class and uh, these other girls are like, hey, Julie, let's talk to you. And so I'm like, okay. She gave me a number, she said, call any time. And so I'm taking my friend to the dentist. So I'm sitting at the dentist at the outside, and so I call this girl. And she's like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'm not too far up. I'll be over there. So I believe it's unnecessary to go into the details here of what happened, but basically the girl meets Mark while he's waiting for a friend. They would have a, shall we say, intimate encounter. And Mark would say a few things that she did not like. And her last words to him are... Well, I'm going to tell my brother. You know what I mean? Tell with your brother. And then she gone. So I don't, I don't really know this chick. Uh, so it was like a week later, you know, I'm hearing like a few people be like, man, you know a guy named Greg from uh, Hugetown? They were like, well, he wants to beat you up. I'm 16. He's 19. I thought, well, come on, man. And so the feud begins. And as we know from Zach and Jeremy, there are multiple altercations between Mark and this 19-year-old Greg. And all three give basically identical accounts of what happens during those incidents, including the time Mark's car was damaged and the brother of Jimmy Hill offers to pay for those damages. This guy came over, looked at the damage and talked about, you know, let's not get the police involved, you know, we can handle this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, are you cool? I was like, yeah, I'm cool, man. I was like, you ain't got to worry about me. I was like, as long as you fix my car, I'm, I'm all good. And I, I truly was. Like, I, I was like, well, that girl's trouble. Got a brother. It's hothead. Hey, you know, this ain't, this ain't my fight, you know, because I'm wanting to do better. And, you know, trying to prove my parents and, and doing good. And The altercation where the boys would first come into contact with Jimmy Hill, as well as the other altercation where they end up in the Hill Street, when Mark says that he is assaulted by Greg that evening. Ever so slightly, I saw like two people get out of the, out of the truck, but you know, I'm blinded. And all of a sudden I started getting hit again. And so there's two people this stuff. He's trying to hit me while I'm in my car. Well, as soon as I get out, this humongous guy, I have, he's probably three times my size, you know what I'm saying? He like hits me and you know, they beat me up real quick and they jump back in there. So far, everyone's accounts of the weeks leading up are all the same. As well as even what happened that morning with Zach and Mark at a girl's house and Jeremy coming over at the request of his friend to get them out of there. They go to the Burger King to get something to eat. And this is where Mark's account is slightly different. As he says that his intention was always that day to track down the stepson Greg as payback for beating him up the night before. I was like, I'm going to look for Greg, man. I was like, all I know, you know, from the other night, I was like, he, he likes to play basketball on Saturday mornings. Right? 
And, you know, he's like, ah. He's like, let's go see about Greg. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So, you know, I, I put on some music, you know, give, you know, like fight music, and I'm headed over there. So I'm like, yeah, I know where he lives now. So we go, go we pass my friend's house. I, well, I crank up the music at this point, you know, and then I go down the street, and I'm, I'm going probably 10 miles an hour, 15, and it, it's not long. As soon as you turn, you go down this 20, 30 yards, and you start immediately going up the street. And I'm like, well, he ain't out there. And so I turn my music down, and at this point, I'm probably going about 20. I started to like kind of go away. Well, as I looked in the rearview mirror, I saw some man, you know, like running down the steps. Well, not sure what's going on, but uh, you know, I stopped my car and I looked, and then he's flicking me off. And I'm like, I'm like, who is this? And he's like, that looks like Jimmy. You know? And I'm like, I was like, all right. So, you know, I'm still rolling up the hill a little bit, so I stopped and. You know, as soon as I get out, uh, that get out, well, I see Jeremy just, like, er, pull off, like, beside me, kind of on somebody else's yard, because he almost ran over me, because I stopped so, kind of so quick. He had no clue what we were about to do. Only reason he followed me back to that, that place, uh, well, over there, is because he thought I was going to that girl's house again. He was going to try to get me away. And so that's how he got caught up. Just want to go back, just because obviously I've spoken to all three of you now, and you've all you've all basically said pretty much exactly the same thing. But any slight differences when I was talking to Zach uh, about the whole where you were going that day, he mentioned that you guys were going to batting practice and that you were going to pick up someone to go with you, and that's how you ended up in in the hills sort of street because your friend lived there. Well, my intention. Uh, you know, maybe I had told him that, you know, as to try to get him out of the car because, you know, he's kind of irritating uh, at that point in my life. And I could have told him that, you know, like when we were in that Burger, Burger King, you know, I did say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go stiff, Greg. Uh, you know, I, mean, I did mention it and we agreed upon it. Yeah. That's what I so, so your plan was to sort of get a bit of payback from this great guy for what had happened the sort of previous night. Uh, yeah, and I was gonna have me and Zach like like tune him up like they did me. Uh, yeah, two like four, like not with no bath. You have one minute remaining, and that's all we have time for. In today's episode, you would have heard a nine one one call. This is in fact the actual 911 call from a husband and wife who lived in the street and who would say they witnessed what happened that day. The husband would become the prosecution's key witness in this case. And what's interesting about his testimony is that it would become a lot more detailed as time goes on. But his original statement was literally like two sentences. And then a couple of weeks later, it was like a paragraph. And then another month or two later, it was two paragraphs. And then... By the time you got to court, it was testifying for hours. And just who is Jimmy Hill, the man who lost his life that day? 
Mr. Hill, two months before this happened, had assaulted a man in his driveway saying basically the same stuff to him. And the man went to the police department, tried to swear out a warrant. I have that paperwork and the filthy stuff that came out of his mouth. But all of it was told out by the judge because he was the judge in the case that turned him loose. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay.